This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So 80 Albert Street. Yes, 80 yeah. Albert Street. 80 Albert Street. Owned, I'm told, by the city of Johannesburg. That was the plot twist I was not aware of. Was hijacked by slumlords and turned into an overcrowded death trap years before this massive fire. And I'm quoting from the media that was on the ground. A fire that broke out at this address has now claimed the lives of uh, 74 people, many who've been injured. Uh, claimed the lives of 74 people, many others have been injured. And now families are just scurrying to salvage what they can, identify the remains of their loved ones, see if they can be resettled and um, try to rebuild their lives. The city of Johannesburg says, for its part, they have been trying to manage this issue of hijacked buildings to the point where they have launched an urgent or are set to launch an urgent application for the courts to help the city reclaim abandoned and hijacked properties so that they can repurpose them correctly for social housing, resettlement and other issues. And they say that some of their efforts, if not delayed by litigation, are often frustrated regularly by NGOs and lobbyists who believe that a lot of disused buildings can be repurposed for uh, urban shelter, housing the homeless, etc., even if they're not fit for purpose. I think what we've seen after the horror of last week is everybody just trying to calibrate what's going on. And with it, unfortunately, a war of words has emerged and the blame game has begun. But from where I'm sitting, I'm still not anywhere closer to understanding how so many buildings in the inner city of Johannesburg, the former CBD of this country, in fact, with some big building, with some big banks and and um, um, the legislature and the city council being there, it's still the heartbeat of the country. It's not even the former CBD. It's still the CBD of the country can have so many buildings that are not fit for purpose. So this is an education, but it is also an opportunity, I think, to gain some clarity on what's what on the asset register, who's responsible, where the landlords come in, who are the landlords, and how we need to plan better for the future of Johannesburg. And in the conversation is Patrick Poppy, who is the Executive Director for Housing in the City Council, uh, the City of Johannesburg. Good morning, Patrick Poppy. Good morning, Lorato, and how are you? And good morning to the listeners. Thanks for joining us, sir. Uh, we also have Clarence Quinana, who is a town planner and the MD of Quinana Town Planners. Clarence Quinana, good morning. Thank you for the invitation, and also good morning to the listeners. Okay. And with me in studio is Angela Rivers, the general manager at the Johannesburg Property Owners and Managers Association. Angela, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Okay, let's start with you, Ndate Patrick Poppy from the city of Johannesburg. I was not expecting to read a line that says 80 Albert Street owned owned by the city of Johannesburg. So the city is the, is the landlord of this tenement building. Um... Lerato, the building is owned by the city of Johannesburg. It's part of the assets that the city owns. 
Um, I think I need to clarify the issue of the landlord. Uh, we we were not um, renting out the property to those who were staying in the property, as you indicated in your brief, that uh, the property was hijacked and it's one of those buildings that are hijacked. We are the owners of the building. And uh, the other issue is owned through the city by our Johannesburg property company. And uh, further to that, that uh, we it was listed out and... Um, the list uh, ran its course and the NGO moved out, as we, you've heard on, on, on mm. news or in the newspapers mm. or throughout the media, uh, that uh, then people hijacking the process or the property. So, yes, we are the owners. Uh, we're not shining away from that. And it's, it's, it's um, a sad moment for us to be engaging on this um, issue because uh, it's one of those issues that um, is the thorny part because of the uh, building was hijacked and we lost lives. Okay. And it should it should not be a course uh, that should happen or should be repeated. But uh, the city is working uh, to make sure that uh, we find ways and mm. with the private partners in the space, uh, we, we, we have, uh, uh, I mean, if you can look next mm. to the building, there's private partners and social housing that has been built in the space. Mm. So that's one of the re- uh, rejuvenation or rehabilitation of the properties that we own. I'd like us just also to get some clarity here because from what you're saying to me, it looks as though there is a triangulation. So the building belongs to the city of Johannesburg. For some time, NGOs have been involved. When they walked out, hijackers came in. So it seems to me like we're talking three ownership streams here, even if one of them is illegal. Could you just help me understand how you manage your properties? Because um, when I look at the asset registry, it says the city of Johannesburg owns about 600 buildings. Many of them are downtown Johannesburg. Many of them are these tenement blocks, these hijacked buildings. So uh, when, when you take ownership of an asset, what happens as the city of Johannesburg? Okay, let me... Um uh, unpack this process. The city owns the asset. That is the structure that's on the ground. Mm. And the, 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 the city then um, would enter into a lease agreement with an NGO to um, run a facility, the facility with uh, a business that is uh, sanctioned by the city. Mm. So in this instance, the NGO uh, was running a process of rehabilitating women uh, and children mm. that were affected or abused and uh, mm. through substance abuse as well we, uh, the, the, the NGO was assisting them in the process mm. but uh, you pick up that when somebody rents a facility like when you rent a townhouse you mm. rent a townhouse with taking the full responsibility of what's happening within that space so when the um, NGO left uh, they, they, they then um, uh, did not um, uh, you know, uh, evacuate or um, uh, remove the people that were there. They left them there, and we could not evict them. And it's one of the buildings that our forensic team um, had um, gone in um, to do a blitz uh, with the security cluster to understand the issues of uh, the challenges that uh, the private pro- uh, property owners were complaining about in the mm. space, as well as the issues of that building okay. uh, doing things that are unbecoming. Yeah. Uh, so there, there was an, uh, an assessment or an audit in 2019, right. but uh, there were things, um, uh, in fact, the, 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 the person who was collecting rent mm. or the intermediary was arrested and, and uh, the, the 
case was handed over to the police for us to be able right. to protect the building. All right. We can, we can talk yeah. about some of those processes. I still sure. want to stay with you, Dr. Patrick, because I need, I need clarity in my mind. Okay, so the city of Johannesburg owns a building, but the city of Johannesburg is not in the business of managing properties. So you lease it out to someone who then runs and manages that building for 10 years or whatever, and then yeah. you go into another negotiation. Okay, that's all fair and square for me. Sure. But this is what I know in my younger years when I was a tenant, is even if I'm living in your property and I'm responsible for it, you still, as the owner, are, are liable for making sure the structure is intact, paying the rates and taxes, making sure the pipes are running, the electricity is okay. It's not my job as the tenant. That's your responsibility as the owner. So even if you've got a lease agreement with an NGO, to what extent had the city of Johannesburg, in doing your audits, done health and safety maintenance work in the buildings you own? Um, let me also answer that question. I think I touched on it a bit, that um, when the, the, the NGO was there, the city was managing the lease agreement or the contract that um, was entered into with the NGO. And they left in 2018. And in 2019, the city went in uh, with the forensics team to assess the um, um, living conditions in the space as well as doing a blitz because of there were issues or there were challenges that uh, were uh, reported upon by the property owners in the space as well as the uh, the city itself, because at some point in time, the Department of Human Settlements, uh, which uh, I'm the executive director, we had returned to JPC wanting to access that building uh, so that we can convert it into social housing. But there were challenges in the sense that there were people in there. But you are correct. Uh, the, the services or the running of, of the building itself in terms of rates and taxes and services were being taken care of. Uh, 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 by the city at, the po- at, at that right. point in time when the lease agreement was running. Right. But when the NGO moved out, then uh, we had to um, uh, uh, take action, uh, hence the, the situation that we are at now. All right. So it's fair to say, before I bring in the other uh, participants, it's fair to say it's your building, uh, regardless of who's running it, maintain- it's your job to make sure that um, fire escapes are maintained, that there are fire extinguishers, that water pipes are running, that doors for uh, emergency exits are, are are well lubricated and that, they, you know, that, that they're open um, and that you manage the number of people who are in the building. It's your responsibility. You are liable for that legally. Uh, you, you may say that, Lerato, but let me clarify. Uh, when we did the blitz in 2019, it was for us to take back the building. So the, for the mere fact that the building was hijacked, it was difficult for the city to be able to access or rehabilitate whatever was inside because of the, the, the area was taken no, over. I, I, I can accept that in Dati Popi. What I'm saying, I can accept that it was hijacked. We will talk sure. about that. But I'm saying sure. legally, if this thing went to court today and the court said who owns the building, city of Johannesburg, city of Johannesburg, as the owner, according to property law, these, this, that, 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 these are your responsibilities. Do you accept that? Yeah. Um, let me let me accept that um, okay. with a view that um, we we need to take into account that the building was um, right. uh, uh, over there was like I indicated. But I think let let's have the discussion. All right, let's bring yeah. in the other participants. Sure. Angela, uh, you've heard what the executive director for housing says in the city of Johannesburg. So, mm. what do you know about hijacked buildings? When somebody hijacks a building, what happens? 
Um, so there's three ways that a building will get hijacked. Uh, the first is when the owner leaves the country, he leaves the building neglected and is it's too difficult to sell it due to council issues or whatever the case is. They leave the country, it's an empty building, it's an opportunity. That doesn't happen so much these days, but it did happen quite a few years ago. Mm-hmm. The second way that a building will be um, hijacked is if it's mismanaged. A well-managed, well-looked-after building will not get hijacked. Hijackers are opportunistic, so they will literally drive around town, see how a building looks from the inside. If it doesn't look like it's looked after, if there's sewage pouring out into the streets or whatever the case may be, it's an easy target because the people living in that building are vulnerable. Then the third place, the third one, which is what happened in particular with this building, is a syndicate will move in, in um, intimidate the tenants and take over the building. I heard over the weekend that one of the women who was living in the shelter was living in the shelter when it was hijacked. So this story about the lease being expired and all the rest of it, I don't believe it unless we can see it. The story that I've heard is that they were being hide the, the building was hijacked while it, while it was still a shelter and the women that were living there for protection were intimidated out of the property. And my understanding is that the city of Johannesburg was made well aware of this as it was happening. Okay, I'm still I'm still on the just basic understanding mm. of, of responsibility. So as a property owner, um I know that each month I get a statement from the city of Johannesburg. That says you have to pay for your services. And if I even delay by two days to pay, they send me an email to say, you better get it done. Otherwise, we're going to start charging you interest. So when you own a building or you're in a lease agreement with somebody who owns a huge commercial property and you're not getting those rates and taxes paid, how do you go about claiming the money? Because as the city of Johannesburg, you're losing money. So surely you're not just going to walk away from the potential of one to two million rands worth of rates and taxes each month evaporated. Absolutely. The city is losing huge money on hijacked buildings. A hijacked building does not pay water, electricity, rates, sewer, refuse. They pay nothing towards council. Every cent of rent that they collect goes into their back pocket and to pay off any officials that come to inspect the building. And yet those services are running. In some cases, they're still running. I have a client who has a building that is hijacked. We have done a level three disconnection, which is where they go in and remove the electrical meter from the building in order to end the supply. City Power has been to the building. The hijackers um, beat up City Power. They went back with SAPs and SAPs refused to go into the building. So that building is still connected and still using electricity. Okay, through means of intimidation. Through means of intimidation. For the original owner, because you say not all buildings belong to the city. So for Mm. the original owner, like your client who left the country, how do you buy a building for 5, 10 million and then walk away from it? There is at the moment quite um, a disgruntled feeling around investors. There's a lot of money, over over 100 billion rand has been invested in the inner city by private investors. JPOMA itself, member base, has about 250,000 residential units. So that's big money, but we don't get any support from council. The billing system is a mess. Service delivery is non-existent. We get charged for things that we don't use. We get charged for ridiculous things like we're the only municipality that pays a per unit rate for our sewer where every other municipality pays for usage. 
there is no support for inner city affordable housing at all from the city. And what's happening is good developers, good investors, people who want to really pump money into the inner city and invest in affordable housing units are moving out. City of Johannesburg, Patrick Poppy, how do you respond to that? Is that even when people try to repurpose buildings, reinvest in the inner city, they don't get support from council. Um, they don't get linked up to services quick enough. Um, they're charged exorbitant prices. Sometimes they don't get service. What are the things that Angela is saying? Okay. Uh, thank you, Lorato. The What Angela is saying um, is that I think it's, it's an issue of coordination. We, we, as the department, tried to engage with the property uh, owners. Uh, but the challenge that we have is that um, it's not only a human settlement issue, it's a revenue issue. And I would say to Angela, they, they, they are stakeholders or they are um, colleagues who would be able to assist from a revenue basis. Uh, to be able to engage and assist the property developers because of all we are doing is we want investment uh, in the city and we want to change the framework of the city and making sure that people are able to uh, invest and um, afford their rates and taxes and as well as get service delivery like Angela has indicated. So I would, I would request and urge that um, the engagement should not die, uh, but let's continue and I right. can be a point of contact and we can engage uh, so that uh, uh, we, whatever the city does, because of we delivering social housing in the space, and we're also providing what we call mm. temporary emergency accommodation, we can club together and work together right. so that we are able to um, and invest together. Right, we can and talk. I can also we... indicate, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, Rata, I can also indicate that there are some property developers that we're engaging directly with them. For instance, in the dual city, where we're saying the city wants to invest in the space so that we can also provide the affordable rental uh, accommodation to avoid the squalor that we see in some of the buildings. So. We, I can be a point of contact and I can take this mm. uh, process further uh, because the city um, is interested in making sure that we work together and we don't uh, paralyze the city or paralyze uh, uh, um, mm. property owners in the space. Right. We need each other to be able to move to the next level. Uh, and I hope this conversation will move to the next level in a second. And I don't want to leave that Clarence Quinana out of the conversation. So as a city planner, what do you make of the state of Johannesburg right now? Clarence Quinana. Uh, thank you, madam. Um, I go to Johannesburg and drive around every day, and indeed, uh, it is in a state of great decay, or some of its parts, or the greater part of it anyway. I know that there are areas that were refurbished much earlier, but if you go to the area where there was this fire recently, the area here, obviously, these are not in the way they were about 30 years ago. So there is a need. If I may compare that to other cities I've been to, even here around Africa, not even talking about Europe, just here around Africa, go to Lusaka, go to Dar es Salaam, you'll find that um, there is strong law enforcement there. Um, for example, in Dar es Salaam, I saw there was something called the National Housing Company uh, that runs the city on behalf of government. And uh, the laws are very strong that everything that's got to happen in terms of making sure that there is cleanliness, it happens, healthy buildings, access to water, access to electricity, security system of the city in terms of the buildings is quite strong, linked to national intelligence so that 
they pick up very quickly and easily if there are certain tendencies uh, that are veering towards buildings getting higher. That will never happen. Eh? Mm. So you need also strong law enforcement in order to make sure that your city does not veer towards a state of decay. Mm. And you also make sure that um, people who live in the buildings are people who are supposed to be there. You also create economic opportunities for them around the city. They must have businesses or jobs in order that there are no people who are just sitting there and not paying anything. Because, you see, unemployment can be used as an excuse, but you want to make sure that uh, people are are, are allocated business spaces, Mm. are funded, are assisted, are monitored, so that you make sure that everything in the city is functioning for for the benefit of the city itself for the benefit of your communities. All right, we will continue uh, talking about a broad vision for Johannesburg because what we've also seen is huge migration out of the city by big business, mm-hmm. by SMMEs, and I think that's had a really detrimental impact on uh, the city of Johannesburg. I want to thank you for your time. Please stay with us. We're not ending the conversation. We're just going into headlines. Patrick Poppy, Clarence Quinana, and Angela Rivers. Time for the news. Power Talk. The view of the nation. It is 11.35. We're going to continue with our conversation. Our view of the nation for Monday, solving for Johannesburg's housing crisis and the hijacked buildings. In the conversation are Angela Rivers, the general manager at the Johannesburg Property Owners and Managers Association, Clarence Quinana, uh, town planner and managing director of Quinana Town Planners, the executive director of housing for the city of Johannesburg, Patrick Poppy, as well. So, Patrick Poppy, let's ask you to just respond a little bit to what uh, Clarence Quinana says. The vision for the city of Johannesburg, is there one? There is a vision. Um, um, I I think one needs to indicate that, um, you know, uh, we we had what we call the inner city um, housing implementation program, mm. uh, which was meant to claim back the properties that are derelict, privately owned, owned by government, various stakeholders, um, and and the city, uh, to claim them back so that they can convert them into habitable, uh, affordable rental facility, or uh, be given out to developers who are going to take uh, these buildings, convert them into. Um, rental accommodation as well as ensuring that uh, they sign a long-term lease with the city um, and then uh, re- when the lease expires in let's say 30 to 40 years or 50 years depending on the magnitude of their uh, arrangement therefore the city uh, the building can revert back to the city so there is that program and uh, we've been working uh, with the lawyers as well as the ngos representing some of the uh, owners or the uh, beneficiaries or people who are living in some of these buildings. So it, there is a plan. And National on Friday indicated that uh, they are uh, assisting or will be assisting uh, the, right. uh, the city in terms of these buildings to make sure that we rehabilitate and bring back the city. Right. Okay, so Clarence Quinana, a big issue is um, this question or this issue of hijacked buildings in the inner city of Johannesburg because it adds to the decay, the squalid conditions that many people complain about and lament when they see the inner city of Johannesburg. You've also said driving around, you ask yourself, have they created spaces for enterprise, for SMMEs, um, you know, walkways, um, have they posted sufficient security personnel? So so what makes for a functional city, Clarence Quinana? Well, firstly, 
you you as as one of my colleagues has said, uh, Patrick, um, you need to ensure that um, uh, the decay has been eradicated, buildings have been refurbished, and what then you need to do? You also you you have to have target groups, where, for example, you ensure that your properties, um, as I've said already, are used for accommodation and then you've got also you know your target groups like your young couples mm. new entrants in the job market you have got working adults you have got um, younger military veterans who may not want to live in free-standing homes away from the city mm. they want to come within the city so once you've got all of your all of your groups here uh, this is going to result into a uh, some kind of social cohesion. Yeah. And by the way, when we talk about housing the people in the inner city, we're not talking only you know, African people as well or black people. Mm. Just have people of all races because once they see that the city is functional yeah. and then everybody will be attracted to come and live in the city, especially where there's okay. there's national security, there's the businesses running, uh, safety and securities are guaranteed. So it yeah. begins to improve. Okay. And then don't allow decay at any one time. Don't allow them to be hijacked. Mm-hmm. So as I, as I said, that uh, other countries are very strong on on on, on national security mm-hmm. uh, to prevent all of those uh, issues. Angela Rivers, um, this issue of the hijacked buildings, uh, unfortunately, also coincides with the issue of crime because apparently they become centres of criminal activity. They become drug dens and prostitution dens and the like. And here we are talking about repurposing of buildings mm. into social housing and addressing shortages. Um, what are your examples of best practice of how to reclaim buildings, how to evict people and get things done correctly? So I think the first thing and the most important thing to state is that I know there's a lot of talk around the Pi Act, which is the Prevention of Illegal Eviction that is a constitutional act. So it's very, very difficult to change that and to make, well, make any changes on it. Mm-hmm. However, in 2014, the city wrote the problem property policy, which empowers them to go into hijack buildings, do inspections and decide whether or not the building is hab- habitable or not. Mm-hmm. To give you an, an idea of how successful this policy is, in um, to, between the years of 2001 and 2006, the city's own lawyers got back 300 buildings based on this policy alone. Right. And this I've confirmed with the city. He's not working with the city anymore. But in that period that he was working for the city, he personally got 300 buildings empty based purely around the, the problem properties policy. And how was it done? Through using the policy, so, going so into the policy, going to the law, but but I'm saying yes. physically, you you go, you go in there and take it back. So you go into the building. The city is empowered to go into buildings and unrestricted, and through there they can decide. There's a list of thirty things that they can use in order to decide that the building cannot be is not it's not um, possible for human habitation. Mm-hmm. And if we look through the list, we can literally tick them off as everything that was part of AT Albert Street. 
no fire compliance, not in a healthy state for human uh, hab- habitation, no water, no electricity, overcrowded, limited access. The list, there's a, the, the policy is on site. Anyone can go and look at it. There's 30 plus things that would have, that if they'd done an inspection on that building, and even if they'd done the inspection in 2019, like they say they have, okay, maybe they did because they arrested someone who's now disappeared. But if they had done their job properly in 2019 and done a proper building inspection, that building would have been marked inhabitable. Does the the Act say how often uh, you need to go in there and do an inspection? Because 2019 and 2023, that's like four years in between. I would would assume you're supposed to do it at least once a year. I think they should be done once a month. At the moment, I can tell you, the city officials are very quick to do inspections on upgraded, fully uh, compliant buildings, but they're not willing to go into these project properties. My members get harassed monthly by inspectors. So, Patrick, let me ask you a question in this way, in Date Poppy. The office of the mayor in Bramfontein is exactly 2.9 kilometers away from Albert Street. The ANC's headquarters, Lutuli House, is exactly 1.7 kilometers away from Albert Street. I actually actually Googled this. I did a Google search. So what I'm trying to say is the proximity of leadership, local government, the ruling party, to these squalid, not fit-for-purpose buildings is very, very close. So people going to work, you city officials going to work every day, regardless of which party you represent, you see them daily. Every single day you can see them. And yet it seems as if you've done nothing about it. Why? Um, Larat, it's not that the city has done anything. Like I indicated that um, the case um, that was opened by through Jeffis, which is our forensic team, for the challenges that uh, we had in that building, uh, uh, the to the police, and um, assist in terms of ensuring that we evacuate those who are illegal and make sure that uh, we take over the building. And I also indicated that we wanted to convert the building into affordable rental units. Uh, but the issue was that um, we, we could not evict people without providing, providing them with um, alternative accommodation. And that was also a challenge uh, for us to be able to evict or take because of, as you know, that um, the Blue Moonlight case um, indicated that whoever could be evicted within the space or any building should be given alternative accommodation before an eviction can take place. Mm-hmm. So as the last year of government, we had that responsibility to make sure that we provide alternative accommodation. But let me indicate something else. Foreign nationals who are undocumented cannot be afford, uh, accommodated by this. And uh, that is another point. They cannot, be, they cannot be what? They cannot be accommodated using the resources of the process of the city. If they aren't documented, they have to be deported. And um, Are you are sure about that? Because the Minister of Human Settlements, the National Minister of Human Settlements, is on record last week speaking to this very issue, saying, she says in her own voice, Mamolukukubai, we have to resettle people to safety. We have to get them out of these death traps. And many people are not signing up from 80 Albert Street because they think we're going to deport them. And we are not. Certainly not just willy-nilly in accordance with uh, the Constitution and Section 28 of that Constitution. So from where she's standing, a whole national minister says safety first, 
dignity first, and then we consider all these other issues. It was made. I had an engagement with the minister before and after. Because of there was a disaster, we indicated that we are not going to displace people or affect or impact on their livelihoods because of people have lost brothers, they've lost their lives. We need to be uh, human and, and treat everyone with um, uh, the necessary um, responsibility. But that's not being that altruistic. That's just the law. The Constitution uh, in, uh, enjoins you to behave like that. You're not doing anybody a favor. It's the law. No, you have to, by um, the law, do that. No, but Lerato, we can um, uh, engage about this, and there's a law that indicates, I can share documents with you, mm-hmm. that indicates that just we tell are us, not... Just tell us which part of the law. Yeah, we, we've got a temporary emergency accommodation uh, that's um, uh, approved by the city and has been engaged with uh, all the stakeholders. That indicates clearly that we only accommodate people who qualify and documented people. There are those people who come from uh, foreign countries, but as long as they're documented, we can ac- accommodate them. Those that are not documented, we cannot. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. Mm-hmm. And which, part which, of pa- which part of the law that there, Patrick? Um, we, I'm saying there's a policy, and I'm, I can share it with you. And I'm indicating this purely well, because I of was, this policy. I was hoping you could just share it with the listeners, because we're talking about the issue right now. Yes, um, I'll share it with you. Um, and National has got the same policy that says... People who are not documented cannot be afforded accommodation. They need to be repatriated to their own country. Mm. Uh, those who are documented, we need to treat them uh, with, with the dignity that uh, they deserve. Mm. And it's there. So one way or the other, the issue is that, as you've indicated, that um, the, the, the people should be given dignity. Everyone deserves dignity. But if you're undocumented, why should we treat you with that dignity? We need to make sure that... Why should you? Because the Constitution enjoins you to do it. It's written here in Section 28 of the Constitution. It is, I'm looking at it. Saying, no, but we are saying in terms of our policy that we have, we can't uh, accommodate anyone who's not documented. How do we, yeah. uh, Lerato? We can share that document okay. because of, I want you to read it in, intertwined with the law, okay. Section 28. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to belabor this issue. I'm just sure. saying your political principle, your minister, absolutely contradicts everything you've just said. Not that she's condoning illegal immigration. She's saying in a crisis where yeah. children must be resettled, women yeah. must be resettled, sure. they have to sign up. And they think we're going to deport them and we're not because right now the crisis at hand is to give people shelter. Once somebody's, a got a, once somebody's got a roof over their head, we can then discuss the other issues and bring in yes, immigration officials. And where we are right now is in crisis stage, is it not? Let me clarify that again. The minister indicated that because of people are displaced and there was a disaster, we need to accommodate everyone. Mm-hmm. That's why we were processing them to make sure that everybody is given the, the, the necessary um, uh, opportunity mm-hmm. to be able to present or to be able to uh, uh, give us the necessary documentation or we are able to assess them through their various uh, embassies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Tanzanians and the Malawian embassies came through to say that we are willing to assist so that we can make sure that these people are here illeg- uh, legally, not illegally. Yeah. Yeah. And the minister indicated that we are not going to um, uh, displace anyone, okay. let's assist anyone. Okay. That's why we relocated them to a facility where we are able to uh, deal Check with all, all the other issues, issues that answering issues. Okay, sure. so let's not belabor this issue. Here's a secondary sure. thing. So we're de- talking about the fire on Albert Street, but six weeks ago was an explosion, massive explosion near Lillian Ngoy Street. All yeah. of this is saying to me, maintenance of the city of Johannesburg is in poor form. It's either not happening or the right engineers and environmental um, uh, officers haven't been employed, or you simply don't care. Which one is it? No. Um, 
it's not a question that the city does not care. And I think uh, if you've been to Free Street before the disaster happened, uh, this was an underground, uh, unfortunate situation that happened. Uh, but it was not a question that the streets or the area was not maintained or it was not uh, uh, managed on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jerry was there, and the entities of the city were there to indicate that everything else was uh, above um, uh, the law, but mm-hmm. one way or the other, they, uh, we don't know. That's why the indication was that we are mm-hmm. investigating in terms of what caused this uh, uh, issue. Mm-hmm. But it's not that the city is not taking the responsibility of maintaining or ensuring that this, the infrastructure is intact. Mm-hmm. That's why there was a, a people were able to commute in between the areas without any difficulty. Mm-hmm. And then just lastly, and then I'll bring the other uh, speakers in. You know, at the end of the day, the city of Johannesburg has to make some money. It has to. You, yes, you've got your big budget of $77 billion, but you've also got to augment so that you can do basic upgrades, fix roads, provide services. Rates and taxes is where you make that money. Mm-hmm. So if you've got about 600 buildings on your asset registry, but we can have as much as 300, as Angela says, hijacked, how do you make the money? Because that should be an imperative. If nothing else is the motivator, reclaiming um, your building so that you can get your cash back would be a principle. Uh, priority. So just help me understand the fiscal issues here. That, that's the principle of the city. I think you're aware of the Buyam Teto um, uh, uh, process that the city has undertaken. Mm. You've seen uh, the, the MMCs and the mayor mm. uh, on the ground um, claiming back some of the properties that um, are not in, in good condition. And I think Angel uh, indicated that um, some of the property owners are being harassed uh, by, by our officials because of they have to follow bylaw uh, principles. Mm. And that's, that's the principle, and the city is using its resources mm. to make sure that we claim back some of these um, uh, uh, illegal mm. uh, acts that are being conducted mm. in the city. For instance, I mean, if people are using water or electricity illegally, they've connected, we disconnect, and yeah. then we make sure that uh, they pay rates and taxes like any other person, like me and you, yeah. so that uh, no one is uh, goes scot-free without taking right. the responsibility. And okay. we Church has assisted us return law and here's um, something else also that listeners have been curious about how do you how do you as the city of Johannesburg go about um, evicting people from uh, derelict buildings um, and hijacked buildings so Angela's told us about the PIE Act the PI Act but actually physically how do you go about doing it what we do, and I'll explain this again, as the last year of government, when you evict people from a building or from a derelict building, you need to provide them with alternative accommodation. Yes. And I think you are aware that there were 84 buildings that were um, tendered out to various uh, stakeholders or property owners in the city for them to uh, rehabilitate or develop those properties to make affordable accommodation. The challenge that we have is that we need space to decant them and relocate them to a temporary... No, I, 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 that much we got. What we're yes. just saying is... Why can't you just, if you can see that this building is a death trap, yes. you can see it with your naked eye. Yes. Why can't you just get in there with the police and say, everybody out? I understand the issue of make sure that once everybody's out, there's alternative accommodation. But it just doesn't even seem like the wherewithal is there. No, they, they the the urgency. Way. No, the, the urgency is there. Like I'm, I'm talking to you now, there's a 
framework of legal uh, uh, practitioners as well as um, uh, the entities uh, um, and the department's officials that we are looking at providing temporary emergency accommodation so that we can deal with these buildings that okay. are worse or are in a very bad state so that we can decant the people, afford them the accommodation and uh, give right. away the building. So you're just not going to enter have. any building until you have a guarantee of an alternative. That's what you're saying. You have to have an alternative. Okay. Without an alternative, uh, you are going to put people on the streets and you're going to create okay. chaos. So red ants, green, you know, green army, none of those things work unless there's an alternative. You need to provide an alternative. Okay. All right. It's 11.54. Power Talk. The view of the nation. All right, let's wind our conversation down here. Clarence Quinana, you've heard you can't evict people without complying with the law and the mechanisms of the law to bring them out, provide them with shelter. At the same time, uh, you can't repurpose derelict buildings until you've thought through solutions for social housing. And after social housing, you've also got to think through investment opportunities. So this all just sounds to me like it's a colossal task and it's not going to really happen in the near future. Well, that that is the irony of the southern situation. You can't be voted by people, and then the next thing you make laws that put you in a state of paralysis. It doesn't happen anywhere in the world. So, I mean, you now the people of the city are trying their best. They want to sort sort out all of this, but then they are hamstrung by various regulations and laws and whatnot. That should not happen. So, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. If you you can't just walk across the border, across from Accra in Ghana and mm-hmm. get into Lagos and just go straight to a building, you know, mm-hmm. those things only happen yet. A person who's at the Zimbabwean border knows that I'm heading straight for a certain building in Hilbro. So, and then you say that the law can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It can't be like that. Mm-hmm. That is why I said mm. in other countries there is strong law enforcement when it comes to this. And I think where we are now, where we are now, city officials can't do anything, then they are accused of, of being lethargic, mm. but they are hamstrung by the laws. Mm. We need to revisit some of these regulations and laws mm. very, very soon. Yeah. Otherwise, we are going to be to sink and and just staying with you Clarence Quinana because you are an urban planner you reimagine our cities you zone them out I mean for people who say I I would come back to the inner city and trade um, were the services there the security there etc etc do you see a momentum for people to come back into the inner city no of course look if there are certain things that are done for a start you know deal deal with crime um, make sure that the services are there. There's some refurbishment going on. You know, I mean, look, people could get encouraged to to move back to the inner city. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. They do want at least a certain a certain level of security. I mean, they want to mm-hmm. be guaranteed that if I'm there, mm-hmm. I'm not going to wake up in the morning. Uh, the business is battled or shot, or all of mm-hmm. those things. So there must be some visible at least for a start. Maybe have some visible policy whilst at the same time you are busy dealing with your regulations mm-hmm. that uh, make the city functional, make mm-hmm. officials of the city not be able to take the, the actions that they want to take, as um, Patrick was saying. Yeah. Okay. So we need all of those things. There must be a certain degree of uh, 
ceiling of safety and security. Yeah, very important one. So safety and security is an important pillar. Angela, let's give you um, a final comment here. Gentrification, that's been a big concern is, you know, you need housing in the city for the Mm. poor. You need housing in the city for students to be close to universities. You need buildings that function so that entrepreneurs can start build uh, businesses and not be paying these exorbitant um, commercial uh, rentals. Mm. But it can't happen until a lot of these other solutions are found in the inner city. Those who are investing are almost gentrifying it, making it very expensive to live in the inner city. And that's been the flip side of this issue. So I I disagree with that because I obviously come from the affordable housing market. So our rentals range from 1,800 rand upwards. So being in the affordable housing market, we're definitely against gentrification. And the idea is to empty these buildings and get the same people who were living in the hijacked building back into the buildings afterwards in a formalized, safe, clean um, environment. So we're definitely not r- trying to get rid of people. We actually want people to live in the inner mm-hmm. city. That is important for us. That's our that's our way. That's our main tenant yeah. base. Okay. And finally, from you, Patrick Poppy. I know you've taken a lot of the the fiery darts that have come this way. But um, what are you doing as the city of Johannesburg to avert another crisis? We cannot have six weeks apart, an explosion in the inner city, a fire in the inner city, Lord knows what else in the inner city. Um, thank you, Lorato. Um, as a parting shot, uh, one would indicate that uh, as a city official, uh, we, we have to take the responsibility and ensure that people are out correct. And uh, the inner city property scheme uh, that we're working on, as well as the IT. Uh, the national government has um, indicated that they're going to assist us uh, so that we can uh, relocate and remove people in bad buildings and would work with the private sector. Uh, if you have come forward to say that we can assist, let's uh, rehabilitate some of these areas so that we can afford, uh, avoid what happened. And uh, let's hope uh, when we discuss um, or have an engagement in the near future, we won't be talking about the disasters, but we'll be talking about the fortunes that uh, we would have made parents to uh, turn, uh, turn around the process and make sure that people are safe in their space. Thank yeah. you very much. I think there's still many issues to deal with here, but I understand that the solution has to come from uh, social housing, yes. safety and environmental standards. Mm. Police mm. have to be involved in this. And then also the municipality in providing services. So all of those people need to be at a table right now finding a solution. Uh, Patrick Poppy, thank you for your time. He's the Executive Director of Housing in the City of Johannesburg. Clarence Quinana is a town planner and MD of Quinana Town Planners. And Angela Rivers is the General Manager of the Johannesburg Property Owners and Managers Association. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.